Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. I am beginning a new series this morning. And uh, why don't you turn in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 5. It is the beginning of what we have come to know as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we will consider, God willing, over these next weeks, just the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. This is 1 through 12, and today my intention is just to do an overview of the passage, and then week by week we'll tackle each one of the verses. So reading then, Matthew writes, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So just so far, reading of God's word. Enable us, our Father, by your Spirit, to receive this word today, thanking you for the encouragement that it ought to bring, and also, Lord, a challenge in some instances that may be left with us. But, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable in your sight, and, Lord, may it be of great benefit to the church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I started studying this passage a couple of weeks ago, now in preparation uh, to start this particular series. And along the way, uh, I had in my mind uh, a song that we sang as young people. And I'm not so sure if the young people still sing it, but I thought I might remind you of this particular song. It went something like this, and I don't think I'll try to sing it. Isaac, I'll leave that to you. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Okay, do you all know that song? Uh, if you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. And, and I think we did all sorts of other things about uh, demonstrating our supposed declaration of happiness. I thought about that song, and I think I would put it into the category of a fun song. It's a rah-rah song. It doesn't really tell us anything meaningful. There's nothing particularly helpful in the song on how to be happy, is there? Or, on the other hand, how to avoid misery. It's kind of just a a Aurora song. Happiness continues to be an issue that people struggle with all over the world. I believe even among us, 
It is true to say that the whole world longs for happiness. Just in the past weeks, and still when I encounter people that I haven't seen yet, there's an expression of compliments of the season. Happy New Year. Uh, pray that God's blessing, that His good hand would be upon you. So, so there's this, this longing for, for receiving happiness, for, for others to experience happiness. I want you to take a moment this morning to reflect as to whether or even to what extent, and I want to use the phrase lasting happiness on the one hand, or draining misery dominates either your life or people gathered around you. What do you see? What do you see in the South African context, in the Central Baptist context, of people who express and demonstrate lasting happiness on the one hand or draining misery on the other? The important question that I'm going to want to answer by looking at this passage today, certainly, is there a way to lasting happiness? Is there a way for you, for me, to experience lasting happiness? Is there an answer to this? It's a consuming question dominating people of all ages from every nation. I need to begin asking a very important question. And so my first point today is, importantly, you and I need to decide whose advice you will take regarding happiness. Approaches to attain lasting happiness abound. I'm sure you realize that, and I, I'm limited in my time this morning. Did you know you can go to a website called happiness.com? Okay, I found it. Found it. The, the, all you need to do, according to happiness, happiness.com, is uh, be obedient to eight commands in the waking hours of your life, and you will experience happiness. Maybe. By default, perhaps coming closer to home, most of us are inclined to pursue happiness, trying to hold on to exhilarating experience, significant experience. We, we believe, sometimes we don't express this, but inside of us we believe that getting to do exciting stuff repeatedly will find happiness that we long for. And then I know for myself, struggling over years, times believing that this persistent, nagging voice advocating the answer to the desire for happiness is found in acquisition. I just need to get another thing. Stuff. Stuff. By collecting stuff, the, the more you have, the happier we will be. And so it is important to ask the question, whose advice will you follow? What advice Will you listen to? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this point this morning because I've come to see that it is perhaps naive to assume that professing Christians, us, in the diversity we represent here today, are absolutely, unflinchingly resolved to listen to Jesus. One would assume 
that to be the case. One would expect that to be the case, but it's not the case. And so I want to take a few minutes in this first point this morning to urge you, and I'm going to show you from this passage very briefly, to see again the credibility and authority of Jesus. In other words, He is the one you ought and I ought to listen to. So what does Matthew do in the opening chapters? He meticulously records uh, for the readers, for you, for our benefit, some things that we need to consider about Jesus before he starts his public ministry. Just come through, of course, the advent of Jesus, not just born in an ordinary way, but born of a virgin, understanding that he is God with us, that he is fully God, that he is fully man, that he come for a particular purpose to save his people from their sin, coming in the plan of God, Matthew chapter 1 verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and there's the unfolding of prophecy in the Old Testament, culminating in the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist sent to prepare the way. God the Father declaring public approval of Jesus at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus not yielding to the temptation of the devil. Now, now do you get the point? All of that is not just for nothing. It, it's laying a foundation showing us something of the credibility, the authority, because of who Jesus is. And so therefore in Matthew chapter 4, as he begins his ministry, Matthew describes he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. What's happening? He's active in ministry. Established credentials and authority in place, proclaiming the good news, and is authenticating his ministry through miraculous signs. Now, what's the application here? It is a foolish thing to ignore the incarnate Son of God and to listen to mortal man. Does, it, does that make sense? Why would we want to listen to a created being when we can listen to God who made us and knows us? And so I do want to urge you as we come to the series, intentionally ignore mortal voices. Remember Psalm 1, blessed, and that's where we're going to be going, blessed is who? The man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He wants to listen to God. And so today as we come to a sermon, it's a sermon that Jesus preached, Sermon on the Mount. It begins with what has been described as the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, do you know what that means? Um, it comes from, again, just my own research from Latin, uh, the initial words, Latin words, beati sunt, forgive me for my pronunciation for those who are Latin scholars, uh, simply meaning in Latin, blessed are. Blessed are, and that comes from the Latin Vulgate Bible. So it kind of spills over into the English 
uh, translation and ends up as a heading in our particular Bible. So the Beatitudes describe the blessedness. I want to be blessed. I'm sure you want to be blessed. And this, this passage describes the blessedness, the joy, the, the happiness of those, and we will see, those who have certain qualities or experiences peculiar to those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Today we'll just do a survey to see something about this blessedness, which leads me to my second point. The Beatitudes, now this is important, the Beatitudes declare the only way to true happiness. We must have some clarity here because the word blessed, and I've referred to even in the song that I used in the beginning of the service, is to distinguish between what we understand popularly by the word happiness and the word blessedness. The popular and general understanding of happiness is circumstantial. Got a bonus at the end of last year. I'm sure that made some of you happy. Okay, happy. Circumstantial. Happened once a year. Maybe you didn't get a bonus and you were miserable. All right. You, you, got, you got married. Some, we had a wedding. Conrad and Sam's wedding yeah, just before the holiday time. That, that was a happy day. It was circumstantial. Maybe the kids among us, you got a nice Christmas present. Lego. Uh, happy. Made you happy. It's all circumstantial. So, so this kind of happiness is about chances and changes of life, uh, something which life may give you to make you happy at a particular point in time, or life can take from you and destroy. In other words, you may have a good day, or you may have a bad day. The blessedness that Jesus talks about here is in a different category. It's wonderful. It is completely untouchable. It is not destroyed by the varying circumstances of life. What is blessing? The dedication this morning. Blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Blessing means experiencing divine kindness. It's experiencing divine mercy. The goodness, the goodness of God. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, and, and what we will see in the sermon that Jesus preaches in these opening uh, verses is that there is no greater happiness than having the favor of God. Now, now look at that in reverse. Surely there is no greater misery than having the disfavor of God. God made you with the capacity to be happy. That's good news this morning, I hope, for you. If we go right back to the beginning, he filled Adam with himself. God was Adam's portion. Adam was a partaker of blessedness. The happiness of God. But we know, of course, what happened. Sin and the ugliness and the destructiveness, the consequences of sin entered the picture. Adam no longer enjoyed the happiness of God. There's no friendship. There was no intimacy. There's no communion. There's no trust. There was no confidence in God. There was a severing 
of relationship. But what we do need to see as the pages of Scripture unfold, sin did not destroy the yearning for happiness, the desire, and even the capacity for blessedness. And so now, to bring about the challenge that we face, the devil climbs in, the devil gets involved, boots and all, and exploits the situation, the desire for happiness that you and I have. And, and his strategy can be likened to the skill of a fisherman. I used to do a lot of fishing in my younger days with my dad. But I have seen in recent days that fishermen have become so sophisticated in the equipment and the bait that they use. Uh, we just used to use millipop. Now they use all sorts of mooty uh, that you can buy at a fishing store. But the analogy I want us to think about this morning is that fish have the capacity, they have the desire for what is on the hook. Isn't that true? But fishermen are not in the business of feeding fish. The goal of the fisherman is to hook the fish and get him into the frying pan. That's what he wants. How does he do it? He uses the innate nature of the fish. The built-in desire of the fish. The fish's nature, the capacity. The fish to serve, uh, at least the fisherman, to serve his own end. He capitalizes, he exploits the desires of the fish. That's what the devil does. His purpose is to destroy men and women, the souls of men and women. He wants to rob you of your faith. And so he gets involved in seeking to deceive and, and to lead you astray into misery. You see, if that little fish has not learned the warning that a curled up worm dangling from a hook is a simple trap. If he hasn't learned that lesson, He's going to be caught. Imagine yourself to be that little fish. Man, that bites onto the worm. It must be like you biting into some ribeye steak. Isn't it true? All those gastric juices uh, at work in, 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 in your mouth, thinking this is wonderful, this is heaven, this is delightful, this is glorious, this is fantastic. But the moment there will be joy, it suddenly turns into distress. He puts his mouth on the worm, but the beauty of the moment will pass. The hook digs in. And so, friends, bait is being set. We need to understand that all over the place. The world has become like, I thought, a compost heap. You pile up all your stuff and you dig into it. You see these wiggling little earthworms? The world has come, become like that with all sorts of juicy worms wiggling to get your attention with the intention of enticing you, entrapping you, and destroying you. The devil has a scheme. There's a mission. And he's currently having a ball. He's convinced and is convincing hordes of people into believing that happiness is found in feeding your sinful appetites. Be honest. Only for a moment. The moment passes. Those worldly and fleshly desires of materialism, 
The new whatever it is only lasts for a week or two and then there's another new thing. Existentialism, one experience, it's fantastic. Wonderfully adrenaline rush, only longing for another. Antinomianism means just lawlessness. And then I'm going to say something more just now about false spirituality. So an author by the name of William Barclay, and he's not the greatest author always, I want to say that. But this, on this point he makes, I think, a good point. He says, the greatness of the Beatitudes is that they are not wistful glimpses of some future beauty. They are not even golden promises of some glory. They are triumphant shouts of bliss for a permanent joy. That's what I'm urging on us here this morning. Jesus is teaching us about lasting happiness. Permanent joy that nothing in the world can take away. But then as we move on, not only do the Beatitudes declare the only way to true happiness, the Beatitudes depict the character of the true child of God. The blessedness, and if you ever look at your Bible, uh, is described here, or describes here, a group of people who know the favor of God. Verse 3, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Verse 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is not the place where the worm does not die. Theirs is not the place where the fire is not quenched. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we have a description here, from the very first to the last beatitude, a description of the children of God. And so we do need to see that blessedness that is being described here, as a sub-point, is true of all Christians. It's not merely, well, this applies to some super spiritual uh, uh, people uh, who hide themselves in a monastery. No. Uh, it's, it's a description of every single believer. Each blessed one, each one who is a recipient of God's favor, will manifest in some measure, some measure, in their character, the descriptions given us over here. And then also blessedness shows inward change. This is not about character, external character modification. It's the inner character of the person. We who have corrupted desires, we have a problem. Jesus speaks of this in Mark chapter 7 and elsewhere from within. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder and adultery. And, and, and God saves us wonderfully. We, we shared this in, at the table. And, and He gives us this gift of, of righteousness. And, and we evangelicals uh, rejoice in the reality of the righteousness, being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But that's external. That's objective. It's the work of what is described in the word or by the word justification. Justification does not eliminate the need for sanctification. God is at work in the life of every believer, not only declaring righteousness in justification, but in the inward and subjective change of heart, sanctifying. 
justification, big words, sanctification, are inseparable. And so, notice if you have a look at these uh, Beatitudes, they read, blessed are those who are. Not blessed are those who do. There's a great danger. I was watching a comment, uh, documentary on a mega church in the U.S. that's just fallen apart. And uh, such magnificent, I suppose one would say, excellence in performance. But if there's no character amongst those who lead and those who believe, it's a lack of evidence that there's been any kind of internal change. And so the presence of the Beatitudes confirm, and that's why I prayed earlier, Lord, encourage us here this morning, because I would love you to leave here to say, you know what, I mean, I have greater assurance of faith having been reminded of these Beatitudes. But at the same time, if the, the, there is an absence, a total absence of these Beatitudes, it confirms hard change still needs to take place. The Beatitudes come first in the sermon. It is character before conduct. But I want to move on. Since the description of a true child of God involves inward change, the Beatitudes describe God's work. This is not natural personality or disposition. It's not a natural attitude. The, the, the world values something different. And Jesus here yeah, is setting before us characteristics that He bestows, that He works by His Spirit as He transforms, as He sanctifies, uh, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That verse should be familiar to you. To, speaking to those who've been made alive in Christ, speaking to those who are new creatures in Christ. And so He's not pronouncing blessing here on some sort of natural talent or temperament. It's blessedness of character that is worked in by His grace. The greatness of the good news. Now listen to this statement. It's not my own. The greatness of the good news is that what He pronounces is what He created and creates in us. Blessing. Right. The Beatitudes. Number five. This is my last point. The Beatitudes disclose noticeable differences. Jesus, in his in this first part of the sermon, reveals conspicuous differences between true and false disciples. Now, now here's a, a pausing warning. Not only should we be warned against false religion. Now, there's lots of false religion in the world. We can speak about Eastern mysticism. We can speak about uh, 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 spiritist. Uh, indigenous uh, uh, not in, only in the African context of, of, of um, uh, animism Th- those are false religions but, but what Jesus is speaking about as we go on in this particular passage we'll see this is the repeated warning that it's not only false religion but it's possible to have false Christians did you know that? false Christians the scary passage of Matthew 7, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and we, did we, you know the passage, I never knew you. Who is he speaking to? People who claim to be disciples. In Matthew chapter 13, 
Jesus describes what will happen on the day of judgment. Let both grow together until the harvest. I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barns. So they, they, there's wheat and there's tears growing together. In Matthew chapter 25, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Folk, there are core differences. We ought to be different. We are different if we are believers. We are not the same as those in the world. And, and, and what are these differences? Just have a look at the passage. There are eight of these Beatitudes. Being poor in spirit. Mourning. Meekness. Hungering for righteousness. Uh, being merciful. Uh, longing for purity. Peacemaking. Being persecuted. Th- th- these are characteristics, distinct characteristics of those who are recipients of the blessing, the favor of God. The true disciple is different in character and different in experience. The false disciple is opposite, obsessed with being on top of the pile, getting there by attitudes of self-sufficiency, pride as their necklace. And and forgive me if I use this illustration, but but, uh, there was a podcast series um, some time ago that many of us listened to uh, regarding a church in the United States that had 15,000 members. It grew rapidly over a number of years. And the, the leader of that particular church quoted a statement that I'm going to share with you. But then eventually when he was exposed, the church just fell apart. 15,000 members. Gone. This is what he said repeatedly to his congregation. Those who will not get on the bus with me will get run over by the bus. Now where, where's the poverty of spirit? Where's the humility? This is is, uh, pride. This is humanism. You see, the false disciple is applauded for competence, compliance, and for compromise. Congratulated for eradicating thoughts of sin and condemnation. Biggest church in the world in America is run by a guy that refuses to speak about sin. And just recently, if you follow the news, I don't know if you noticed, just a few weeks ago, uh, the current Pope, Francis, has been applauded. He was applauded by the South African news and even in the United States for declaring the right of priests to bless same-sex marriages. He's a wonderful man. He's taken the bait on the hook. So I'm tempted to conclude this morning challenging you to join me in singing. I want to stand up here, go and sing. If you're happy and you know it, <laughs> clap your hands. I don't think so. <laughs> but I hope, and I say that because that song is a good song if we understand some content. Not just some kind of emotional stirring. Recognizing yourself to be described by Jesus in these Beatitudes. So I'm hoping today that many of you are encouraged and even as we go through here, this great assurance that indeed the anticipation, the expectation, the prospect of inheriting the kingdom of heaven. But there is a challenge. There is a challenge. Lord, search my heart. Search each of our hearts. Is there some evidence? Is there some indication of these beatitudes in some measure? Because none of us will attain perfection in this life. 
in that which Jesus has said and painted in this passage. I need to remind you, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Folks, there are two pathways. Only two pathways in life. And, and you can travel a way of blessing, knowing the favor of God. Or you can travel the way of turning your back on God, but then you cannot expect the face of God to shine upon you, and the opposite of blessing is cursing. Surely, logically, that's the only way you could see it. One, one pathway leads to what we could call a pot of honey. The sweetness, the joy, the delight, the savoring. But we do need to see, and, and, and the gospel is the good news that Jesus brings in, in his ministry. Apart from the gospel, apart from God's gift of grace, spiritual blindness in us, deafness spiritually, will convince people to choose the other pathway, taking the bait, the barbed hook, covered with a sumptuous worm. And you know the sadness, the sadness is misery. Temporal misery, eternal misery. And so there's a challenge as we begin the series. Which pathway have you chosen? Which pathway will you pursue? Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, convince us of the truth of your Word and see something of the greatness of the gift of salvation, this grace gift on free offer to any who will receive it. And so open our hearts, each one of us, uh, enable us to leave here today, Lord, encouraged, uh, assured of great prospects uh, in this life, knowing your gracious and good hand, even remembering, Lord, that all things work together for the good of those who love you and called according to your purpose, those who know your favor. Keep us, Lord, from being amongst those who end up under judgment and condemnation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.